You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage for today is from the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. One day, when Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and legal experts were sitting nearby. They had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Some men were bringing a man who was paralyzed, lying on a cot. They wanted him, they wanted to carry him in and place him before Jesus but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they took him up on the roof and lowered him, caught and all, through the roof tiles into the crowded room in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The legal experts and Pharisees began to mutter among themselves, who is this who insults God? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus recognized what they were discussing and responded, Why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you will know that the human one has authority on the earth to forgive sins, Jesus now spoke to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, get up, take your cot, and go home. Right away, the man stood before them, picked up his cot, and went home, praising God. All the people were beside themselves with wonder, filled with awe. They glorified God, saying, We've seen unimaginable things today. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh God, you can move the mountains. You walked on the seas. You alone have conquered death. And now, I need a miracle in me. again, everyone. Today, we are continuing a sermon series that we began last week, a sermon series that we are calling Miraculous. If you missed last Sunday, this was week one of the sermon series, I shared that for the next several weeks, we are entering into a conversation all about expectations. When I pray and I ask for a miracle in my life, what kind of expectations can I have of God? What things can I anticipate to receive from God when I pray for protection, when I ask for provision, when I ask God for guidance and clarity, when I seek God's help, or in the case of our conversation for today, what kind of expectations can I have of God when I dare to ask for healing? I told someone 
earlier this week that this is easily the hardest sermon that I have had to preach in the last two years. For starters, every single person in this room, every single person who is listening to this sermon online, every single one of you who maybe you're listening to this on a podcast many weeks or many months after the sermon was actually preached, every single one of us have had the experience of having prayed for healing. Maybe it was for yourself, something you were suffering from, something you had succumbed to, or maybe it was someone in your life. It was your child, it was your parent, it was your sibling, it was your coworker, it was someone you loved, someone you cared about. All of us have had the experience of having prayed for healing, and it didn't come. What do you, what can you say? to someone like that? What do you say, especially when I got receipts too? We lost my grandfather much too early after he was diagnosed with cancer and we prayed fervently for his healing. It didn't come. In my first five years of ministry here at this church, we buried not one, but two babies who didn't even reach their first birthday because they were diagnosed with a rare brain tumor. Just this past year, we buried One of the pillars of this church, one of the most foundational members uh, who helped the peak get started and was on leadership, was a personal friend of mine, and was diagnosed with terminal cancer in his mid-30s with a middle school-aged son. What do you say to someone like that? I can promise you that any question you've ever had, any doubt you've ever had, any rageful comment you have ever sent towards the heavens, just know you're in the presence of someone who's most likely asked him or said it to. Furthermore, what makes this uh, particular sermon so difficult is because uh, you want answers, right? That's fine. I mean, we all do, right? That's why we came to church. That's why I'm here in church. I show up to church because I, I want to be with other people who sometimes are smarter than me. They've got more history than me. They've got more experience than me. They're more learned than I am. And so we can together maybe struggle and toil. And maybe if we just prayed enough and struggled enough and searched enough, maybe we would arrive at a rationale. We would arrive at an explanation that helps us come to terms with why God sometimes heals and why sometimes God does not. And one of the hardest parts of my job is looking people in the eye and admitting to you that when it comes to divine intervention, there are simply some things I don't know. And that's the struggle, isn't it? That's the struggle of this place. In a whole world out there that claims to provide and offer certainty on so many different areas of your life, when you come to church, uh, certainty actually isn't our specialty. It's mystery that we specialize in. And I actually think Richard Rohr nailed it on the head. I think he said this perfectly about mystery. He said to encourage us, he said, just encourage us here at this, in this work that we're doing here in church. Mystery is not that which you cannot know. Mystery is just something you can never fully know. And so here's my promise to you here at the onset of this message. My promise to you 
is that while, yes, there are aspects to this conversation, there are aspects to this topic uh, that we cannot truly fully know on this side of heaven. However, I also do believe there is a considerable amount that we can know, that we can understand, that we can trust. Now let's go back to the whole thesis of this sermon series. I think there is a lot that we can expect of God when we dare to make this request of him. And so if you're interested in that, let's dive in. Today we're going to be camped out in the book of Luke, chapter 5. Feel free to snag a Bible or a smart device if you want to go ahead and locate that passage and follow along. Today we're hearing uh, the inspiring story of a man who was paralyzed and had two of the best friends I feel like you could have ever imagined or asked for. It's this incredible story where this man's been paralyzed for we don't know how long, but these two friends, uh, they find out where Jesus is, uh, which is hard to do during that time, but they found out, they located where this Jesus person was. They brought this friend all the way to the place in which he was staying, couldn't get in. There's such a big crowd. There's so many people piled into this house. They couldn't get in, but they didn't stop them. They found a way onto the roof, ripped a hole through the ceiling, and they lowered this friend to Jesus's arms. We chose this story for a number of reasons, but I think chief among them, the reason why I chose this story is because I think every single person in this room can locate themselves in this story. Maybe as you heard it, you really resonated with the man on the mat. There's something that you've been suffering from, that's something you were diagnosed with, something that you has been a chronic part of your life for a really long time, and so you're the one that needs healing. You're the one that needs intervention. You're the one that's begging and pleading for somebody to come along and give you some help. Or maybe for you, the characters that you really resonate with are the friends. In addition to prayer, you've been doing everything in your power to get this person the help that they need. You're calling every doctor's office, you're running down insurance companies, you're doing anything it takes just to get this person healed. And so somewhere in this story, I think we can all find ourselves. And this is how it goes. These friends bring this uh, friend of theirs uh, to the arms of Jesus. And this is what, how, it, uh, how Jesus responds. Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they exclaimed, we have seen amazing things today. So it's a powerful story where God enacts healing right in front of their eyes and everyone's changed as a result of it. Everyone is stoked about what they have just witnessed. I always joke, the only exception might be the homeowner. He's like, that's great, that's wonderful. Heal my roof uh, before y'all get up out of here. But it's this incredible story. It's this powerful story of God healing someone in real time right in front of their eyes. The tricky part is how you then go about applying this story to your own life. Here's what I mean by that. Here at this church, one of the values that we hold is that we believe it is vital that when you study scripture, you study scripture in context. What does that mean? It means that when you're reading scripture, you don't always just take it at surface value. You read it and you try to understand the history and the culture. And furthermore, you also try to ask the question of, what larger narrative is this smaller story taking place within? 
Here's what I mean by that. If you take this story, and the only way in which you try to apply it to your life is taking into a context what happens in Luke chapter 5. By the way, five verses before this one, Jesus healed somebody else. He stumbled across someone who'd suffered from leprosy, and so he heals that person too. All to say is if you take this story and you only apply it in the context of Luke chapter 5, you might actually end up with this conclusion. Jesus heals people all the time. He healed this guy, healed the other guy. Jesus is just shelling out healings anywhere and everywhere he goes. But then if you back out a ring, it gets a little more complicated. So for example, if you not only think about the context of Luke chapter 5, you think about the Bible as a whole. You stumble across passages where, yes, God heals, but there's also several moments where God doesn't heal. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, I begged, I pleaded for God to heal this thorn in my flesh, this ailment, but it didn't come. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Trifemus. Paul says there's this uh, leader named Trifemus who he prayed. He prayed for all the time for it to heal, but then he had to eventually leave him sick because the healing wasn't coming. And so when you now read this story in the context of the Bible as a whole, you walk away with this conclusion. Jesus does have the ability to heal. He has the power to heal, but he only does so sometimes. Then if you back out another ring, it gets even more complicated. So the next ring is our life today, our experience today. I don't know about you, uh, but for me, when I think about my own life and I think about my own faith journey up until this point, I feel like I can only confidently say, and even confidence is sort of like something in italics, um, I can confidently say I've witnessed five to seven moments where it felt like we prayed for healing and a miracle occurred and they were healed. And I put five to seven in there because I don't know with certainty. I don't know. And so when you think about our story, you think about our experience here on earth, you think about the, the stories that we've witnessed and we've had the ability to encounter ourselves, then you end up with an even more complicated uh, conclusion, which is that Jesus has the ability to heal. There's certainly a precedent of God healing, but only occasionally does so. Only rarely does so. And so naturally, when you read this story in that context, naturally, the question you and I want to ask is, why? I hear that. But why? If God's got the ability to do it, and good Lord, if there's precedent for God doing it in the past, why? Why not? Why not heal my sibling? Why not heal my child? Why not heal my neighbor? Why not heal my coworker? Why not just do the same thing you did with the crippled man in the story? Why not do with this person in my life what you did for him? Why not? Friends, I don't know if this is encouraging or discouraging, we're not the first people to ask those questions. The church has been asking this question for centuries, ever since we were born, for thousands of years, we've been asking with this question. And what we've come up with are theories. And again, these are just, they're theories. They're just that. They're theories as to, is there some rationale? Is there some reasonable explanation for why it does and doesn't happen sometimes that doesn't have God cold, 
heartless, or running about in the world acting like a divine puppeteer causing things for a reason. The first theory that the church has come up with is this. It's the theory of original sin. Original sin suggests that when Adam and Eve uh, first disobeyed in the garden, uh, that was not only a breach of a relationship between them and God, it was a breach between humanity and the divine. And so what happened was, is when they sinned, they sent creation into cosmic chaos, which introduced into the world things like sin, death, and disease. And so what the authors of this theory are suggesting is that it's not God who started this. It's not God who created this. It was humanity. Specifically, it was Adam and Eve. To which I would just say, that better been a damn good apple. <laughs> theory one is original sin. Theory two is something called cessationism. Cessationism. This is probably held by a smaller uh, population inside the church, but it's still a considerable theory out there that gets talked about every once in a while. This is the belief that uh, the why, the explanation for why, is that God performed supernatural healings during biblical times only. It is their belief that uh, there was only a, there was a golden era, there was a specific era in which God performed and enacted these supernatural healings. God did so during biblical times only to do two things. Number one, prove God's existence, help us know that God is there, and what God's capable of, and number two, to preview the life to come, to show us what heaven's going to be like, to anticipate with us the type of existence we will all experience after this one. And thirdly, another theory that gets put out there, and this is probably maybe the more intellect, this is the most intellectual of the three, this is probably the most philosophical of the three, uh, it's something called the butterfly effect. How many of you have heard of this phrase before? A couple of you? Okay. So this is the theory that states that the whole reason why sometimes God heals and sometimes God doesn't is because God has to be intensely selective about when God intervenes because anytime and every time God intervenes in the world, think of it like throwing a rock into a lake. There's ripple effects that go so much farther, so much deeper, so far beyond what you have the ability to see or comprehend. And so God is constantly playing two games at the same time. God is working in our present day, and at the same time, God is trying desperately to move all of us, all of human history, towards this event where God will finally redeem and save and heal all of creation. And so God has to be very strategic and methodical about how God intervenes in this world so as to not throw off this end of the story. That's theory number three. However, if you're anything like me, when you hear those theories and you see, I mean, I, I believe every single one of those have strengths and they have weaknesses. Whenever you talk about these theories, maybe in your small group or Bible study, or you hear somebody go off on YouTube about it, and they, this is how they talk about it. I don't know about you, but every time I hear about these theories, they invoke a whole lot more questions than they do answers. And furthermore, going back to what I said at the very beginning, they don't give me anything constructive to like hang my hat on in terms of, again, this question we're asking this whole sermon series, which is, so what expectations can I have when I pray for healing? 
And friends, I'm here to tell you this. this. This is very, very important. As a pastor, I watch us lose people to this question all the time. I watch people walk away from their faith because of this question all the time. The question sounds something like this. If I don't know what to expect from God, why expect anything at all? If I don't know what I'm going to get when I pray, why do it to begin with? That's a fair question. And furthermore, it's a question that deserves an answer. In fact, I actually believe, back to what I was saying at the very beginning, I do believe we have some answers to this question. In fact, we have some in our story for today. So go back to Luke chapter 5 one more time with me. One of the things that's so fascinating about this story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man is that obviously the biggest focal point of this entire story is the physical healing that this man undergoes. He couldn't walk, then he could walk. That is incredible. That's the focal point. That's what everyone walks away amazed about. But did you catch something? Did you catch that before Jesus ever healed that man physically, he forgave him? Did you catch that? We find this uh, in the verses 19 through 20. We don't know what his guilt was, his regrets were, the shame that he was carrying. But the very first words that Jesus speaks over this man is, your sins are forgiven. We're good. I love you. I want to be with you. I want to create a future with you. And so what I interpret from this part of the story is that, friends, the physical healing that happens in Luke chapter 5 is not the only type of healing that God cares about. Does God care about the physical healing? Yes, but God also cares about the emotional healing, the relational healing, the spiritual healing that sometimes we need to undergo in order to truly receive the transformation that we so desperately deserve. So you might think of it this way. When we pray for healing, when we ask for healing with God, one of the things that you have to understand is that if you ask this God for healing, if you ask this God uh, to intervene in this way, you need to understand this that the healing that God is about is not one-dimensional, it is multi-dimensional. Yes, God cares about physical healing, but God also is trying to give us all the different types of healing, mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, that we so desperately need. When I read this story, and specifically when I saw this artistic um, sort of uh, depiction of this story, I... I I don't know who the first person on this sort of screen jumped off to you was, but mine was Grumpy Gary, okay? Grumpy Gary. And I just have to believe, I have to believe, I know human nature enough, I have to believe that somewhere in that crowd, buried into that house, was a cynical, pessimistic, maybe former believer who showed up just to kind of like hear what this Jesus had to say. Maybe he stumbled into that house that day and he had first, he had 
thrown off any sort of belief that human beings are, are, are possible of doing anything selfless or doing anything caring or doing anything loving. Maybe he's carrying his own baggage and people who've betrayed him and let him down. So he walked into that room and he said, you know, who cares? No one does anything actually for anybody. Everyone's only out for themselves. They're only preoccupied with what's good for them. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Anyway, he's asking himself all these questions. He's having all these thoughts. And when those two friends, inspired by who Jesus is, inspired by the message Jesus preached, did everything possible to bring their friend into the arms of the person who could heal them. I just wonder if he got healed that day too. I wonder if he walked out of that room thinking to himself, Maybe the whole world isn't bad. Maybe there is something to be said for the life of love and care and selflessness and generosity. Maybe he was healed that day too. And so if you're asking yourself this question of what can I expect from God when I pray for healing, expect this. Expect that, yes, God's going to care about the physical healing, but that's not the only type of healing that God cares about because that's not the only type of healing that matters. Another thing that you can expect from God actually doesn't come from uh, this story. Uh, it comes from the week that I've had. <laughs> if you're on our uh, communication uh, list, uh, you know uh, that this week uh, was particularly tough for us because we lost uh, our beloved church member, Connie McGill. This is a picture of Connie right there in the middle. Connie, uh, easily, for the duration, the tenure of my ministry here, has been my biggest cheerleader, has been the person who prayed for me the most, encouraged me the most. There are fewer people, and I wrote this in the the letter we sent out to you all, that there are fewer people I can think of in this church who radiate more light and joy than Connie. And Connie died um, on Thursday this week after a several-month-long battle with a whole host of different illnesses. Friends, what I can testify to, what I can tell you firsthand because I saw it firsthand, is I watched over the course of these last several months, when Pastor Katie and I visited with Connie, I watched what started as fear transform into something I might call transcendent peace. Peace that makes no sense. Peace that I don't rationally have an explanation for. And that's something that I can say to you because of my work and because of how frequently with which I walk alongside people at that particular stage of their journey, I can say this confidently, that in the delay, keyword delay, not in the absence, in the delay of physical healing, you can expect God to send you peace. You can expect the Holy Spirit to meet you there and to hold the innermost parts of you when it feels like everything is unraveling around you. You can expect, what does scripture talk about in Philippians chapter 3? That peace that does what? It passes what? All understanding. And the third expectation that I think you can hope for and you can confidently trust when you dare to make this prayer is this. 
It's something I like to call uh, the halo effect. Anybody familiar with this phrase? You've heard this term before? Anybody? Maybe a couple of you? It's okay, I'll explain. Earlier this week, uh, our family celebrated the birthday of my seven-year-old boy. Here's a picture of that little stud right here in his birthday suit. Just kidding, just kidding. He's not, he's not, he's not. He's wearing pants, I promise. And so, parents, what have we been doing all week? Uh, all week, what Marie and I have been doing is we've been looking through our phone and looking through pictures and looking through videos of what? The day he was born, right? And this is actually the first picture ever taken with me and my son. And there's something really fascinating about being a parent. Because you see, when I look back at that picture, and when I look back at the videos of when my son was first born, I mean, that moment had fear, it had pain, it was touch and go there for a moment for my wife. And so, I mean, moms in this room, you can speak to this on a whole nother level that I can't. What's so fascinating about this experience is that seven years removed when I look at my boy, it isn't to say that we forgot how painful and terrifying this moment was. But it is to say that when compared with the joy and the light and the life and the laughter that we now get to experience with our son. It's as if I have forgotten it entirely. AKA the halo effect. And friends, when I read the story of our scriptures, particularly when I read the end, and it says things like this. It says at the end, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it says, in the end, here's what you can expect. Here's what you can anticipate, that there will become this day, there will be this moment where God will wipe every single tear you've ever cried from your eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. When you read the end of the story, what it says to you is that there will be this moment when you will be enshrouded in so much joy. You'll be enshrouded with so much life and all the things that were taken from me and were taken from you far too early, all the people we lost somewhere along the way. There will be this moment where you will watch them walk into your path and you will have the ability to hold them for the first time and grasp them for the first time in such a long time. There will come this moment where at the very end of the story, it doesn't say you won't forget how painful it was before. But it's to say that those moments now can't hold a candle to the existence that we are all now enjoying. And that's my why. When 
people ask me, they put me on the spot and they say, why? Why do you still believe? Why are you still here? Why are you still following after Jesus didn't answer that request, didn't give you what you prayed for? I say, I stay for this. I'm still here for this. I'm still here because that's what I was promised and I plan to make damn sure that somebody follows through on that promise. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.